and welcome to another episode of the Rethinking H2O podcast, where every week we explore different stories around water that include safe water projects, trends in the water space, and blue mind. We hope you enjoy listening, and now here's your host, Kevin Sofen. Responsible World, welcome back. Today we have a really interesting podcast with the creator and host of Adventure Hydrology, Chris Wolf. Chris is a hydrologist by training and gives us context about how water affects people and how people affect water. We'll learn about different stories about how humans are impacting watersheds and examples around the red algae blooms in Florida, the loss of salmon in the Pacific Northwest, the California snowpack, and then learn about the different things that humans can do on the individual level and what communities can do as a collective to actually improve the watersheds and be good global stewards. Chris is a huge advocate of paying it forward and getting your hands dirty and Mother Nature and getting out there to adventure, explore, and be your best self. We really think you're going to enjoy this episode to learn about adventure hydrology, and we hope you enjoy. Take care. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Rethinking H2O podcast. Really excited today to have the creator and host of Adventure Hydrology, Chris Wolf. Chris, how are you doing today? Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me, and I'm doing great. How about you, Kevin? I'm doing quite well, thank you. It is a beautiful day here in Chicago. It's above freezing, so life is good. <laughs> yeah, that's shorts weather this time of year, <laughs> yeah. I would imagine. Yeah, the we're going to go play. Kind of season you had, yeah. Going to go play football <laughs> outside with their shirts off. But there you go, yeah. yeah maybe not quite. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so you would hurt when you hit the ground. Yeah, exactly. So you are a man of many trades. Uh, in particular, you're a hydrologist. And I think some of us, we hear the term hydrology, and, and maybe you just think water. Um, but it definitely has some more context to it. And being a hydrologist yourself, um, I'd love to learn a little bit about what actually is hydrology and maybe give us some context about how water impacts the earth that we live on. Sure. Well, I'm going to default, first of all, to the USGS definition of water or what hydrology is. And it's the science that encompasses the occurrence, distribution, movement, and properties of waters in the earth and the relationship with the environment with each phase of the hydrologic cycle. I did get that all in one breath, which is great. Um, to me, that, that does encompass it, but it's a boring definition. Hydrologists and hydrology is just the study of water. It is how water affects people and how, in turn, we, people, affect water. So it's the understanding of what happens when it rains or flooding and the context of how people might be in trouble if there's certain flows in a river. Um, hydrology is really understanding evaporation rates and um, what's happening in the ocean and water quality. It's its everything that encompasses water. And you know, there's something that I kind of consider funny is we, we call this planet Earth, but 70% of it is water. So really, if you were an alien race and you knew those two terms, Earth or water, you wouldn't call this planet Earth. You'd call this planet water. Um, around the world, around the universe, at least in the human psyche, the human lens, uh, we're looking for water because we know we can't survive anywhere if there isn't water. Water on Mars, water on the moon, water on the moons of Jupiter. That's what we're looking for. And even you know, planetary hydrology, which is an actual science, that's what it is. It's how water is everything. It's life for us. And that, in turn, is kind of the broadest easiest definition of hydrology I can give you. I love it and I appreciate that. And I think one of the best 
thing that I took from that that I try and integrate with with our audience is really looking at the two way street between how water affects people and how people affect water, and it really is this. I, ideally, it's a relationship that lives in harmony. Um, but as we know, there are th- <laughs> we like to think so, yeah. Yeah, but there are things that humans do that that often, for whether it's economic reasons or political reasons, that cause this balance of the water cycle to go out of whack. And and I know you, being a hydrologist, you've seen some of these problems firsthand, particularly some of the threats to the watersheds. And if you could maybe give us some context on what are some of the alarming examples or stats or just things that uh, people should be aware about that are negatively impacting the watersheds that we know and love? Sure. Well, the fun thing and also kind of the, the crazy thing about water is it's important in everything we do, but it's in a watershed context, really different. So we're talking watersheds in Colorado that have no natural rivers flowing into it. That means everything comes out of it. It's a headwater state. They're going to deal with problems that are different than, say, where I am currently in San Diego, where we are almost literally at the end of the pipe. We drink water from the Colorado River. So we have a different system of managing our watersheds, more stormwater focused or perhaps um, more environmentally urbanized issues that you're going to deal with, like in L.A. Um, L.A. sees it differently than, say, Montana, where it's a lot more rural, a lot more open space. So watersheds are really, you have to manage them as a hydrologist in a way that is specific to the watershed. And it's it's regional, so New Mexico watersheds are often defined by north or south because they're different topography, different mountains. Uh, Texas watersheds, where you have groundwater implementation or infiltration availability, and then you kind of get to the coast and you have the saltwater intrusion. So you do have to look regionally, but then narrow it down for watersheds. And so some of the problems that I can give you right off the bat, in California, we deal with major issues associated with urbanization of watersheds. It speeds up water. It creates flooding. Um, we don't have this infiltration, the water seeping into the ground to restore aquifers. So that's a major issue. If you're going up to the Pacific Northwest, their watersheds are impacted because of human interactions with tributaries of these massive rivers that have salmon. And so we've seen major salmon declines in the Pacific Ocean, uh, which is affecting not only just the agriculture or ocean agriculture, um, that is the fishing and industry in itself, but also native populations who have historically relied on those fish species for their their primary food source. You go to the Pacific, I'm sorry, you go to the Northeast, and we're talking um, different water systems because you have a lot of glaciated basins up in Maine. They have fantastic groundwater, but did you know that all of a sudden the city of New York is starting to mess with its piping there, Um, essentially their aqueducts to take water from northern New York to New York City, and it's going to change the taste of pizza and bagels in New York. So that's a different watershed issue. You know, it's it's something totally abstract to anywhere that doesn't love or anybody that doesn't love uh, pizza and bagels from New York. If you're talking watersheds in Florida, there was a huge red tide this year, which is this bacteria and algal growth thanks to um, a lot of nutrients in the water, way too much, so phosphates and fertilizers and all this junky stuff. And that's created essentially a water system you can't even drink from, and that if the wind blows wrong, you will be breathing toxic air, and that's all water. So 
<laughs> we're probably going to see with the snowpack, we're going to see some flooding this year. You always see it in the Midwest. That's a totally different watershed issue there too. So depending on where you are, the watersheds are going to be different. They're going to behave differently. And the fun thing is, though, I think as a group or as a community, as an individual, we can all do similar things to still improve our watersheds, um, which I think is part of the fun of being a hydrologist, too, is showing people that they can. Love it. And yeah, really, all those things you mentioned are really interesting topics that we could spend hours talking about all those in particular. And I really would love to expand on that. Um, I, I do like the idea too of trying to make water and hydrology more tangible for people where, again, if most people, they may not actually care about water. They may have a water bill, whatever. But if you tell them that their water bagels and their pizza is going to be changed, <laughs> like now, yeah. now we're going to turn to my balls. And I think that's yes. something where, again, that kind of verbiage and language can really uh, capture attention. And, and I think now kind of transitioning into looking at, all right, so we, we know how important water is. There's threats to water. Um, but what, what are things that, individual humans, the average Joe Schmo or even the community can do it. And obviously everything is very regionalized, but kind mm-hmm. of generally speaking, what are some common trends that, that exist across the country that are some best practices that can be shared? Sure. I, I think we are for the most part familiar with some of the easy things to do. Take shorter showers, install water efficient appliances. Um, maybe, <laughs> You could see it in some movies or they reference it. You could, um, you know, if it's yellow, let it mellow kind of approach. If, if your listeners know what that is, I don't need to explain it. But you don't always maybe have to flush. Uh, I personally keep a one-gallon shower bucket in my shower so that every single time I have that cold water in the morning, I capture about a half a gallon before it gets warm. That half a gallon goes outside immediately after my shower and waters some of the drought-tolerant landscaping I have. Um, Being in San Diego, one of the huge pushes is actually to convert landscape to drought-tolerant, or at least native plants, which, funny enough, have developed to be drought-tolerant. We see that, though, across different places in the United States. So there's Kentucky bluegrass in Colorado. Kentucky bluegrass does not belong in Colorado. Native vegetation, instead, could replace that bluegrass, and you're not using as much water. And by saving water, say, by, in Colorado, you are saving water down the stream because L.A. drinks the same water. Um, one of the things, I have a nice garden in the back, so I recommend to everybody grow a little victory garden. They did in World War II to not only save food resources, but also to save resource resources, water, fertilizers, things that you really need. So if you could just support yourself a little bit and we all just take these incremental steps forward, I really think that we'll start seeing these large substantial gains in uh, conservation. And it's fun. I like my hands getting dirty, um, especially pulling out my own crops, pulling out my own citrus. I I pretty much don't go to the grocery store and buy the things I can grow because I can grow them better than the industrial scale ag businesses. And I get their point. It's important to maintain economies, but we can do little things to improve not only the water system and the environment, but our own lives. Um, something else I recommend people do is maybe purchase a little less meat. Meat does have a huge impact for water. I think it's something along the lines of like 400 gallons per pound of, of water. If you think of all the, the nuances of, of harvest and raising and, you know, the transportation of, of cattle. Um, but that's, that's really something that people can do on an individual level. It's just decisions, choices like that. But 
We've also seen people skipping the straw, which is great. It removes plastics from the environment, which is going to have an effect on our watersheds. If you go native, um, I like to say go native in the sense that maybe you're not always taking that shower. Or if you're outside, you know, kind of enjoy the environment and see what's all around it. And you'll start recognizing how important and how beautiful the environment is going native. And thus, maybe you won't take a water bottle with you and instead you'll refill your own Nalgene or, or some sort of uh, hydro flask, give them a little shout out because I actually really like your product. But by doing these little things, you're saving not only plastics from the pollution, but you're saving what would otherwise be essentially tap water going into these bottles and you paying $6 for it. It saves you money. That's just pure economics. So these little silly, fun, innovative ways to not only protect the environment, but also to just use a little less water is really important. Um, and it's something I promote and I, I live through my adventure hydrology life. So, I love it. And yeah, I'm yeah. a big believer in these, these small tangible baby steps where, uh, even last week when I was speaking to a school of these kids in uh, Colorado and I brought up them, some of those ideas about you not using the plastic straw and consuming mm-hmm. less meat. And when you think about it, a group of 15 kids, let's just take them for example, where if sure. they went from using a one-time plastic use each and every day and went from consuming meat five times a week and they just reduce that in half and what a group of 15 kids can do on a micro scale. And then looking at, and again, knowing that, okay, yeah, one individual person, are you in the grand scheme of things, maybe going to make the biggest difference? Maybe, maybe not, but really it's more of the principle where it's how can you as a collective with your neighbors actually make this huge impact by taking these tangible baby steps. And it is part, if anything, kind of that, that ethos and mentality of, Hey, you know, doing your part to pay it forward. So I I couldn't agree more with you and, and think that also I'd like that you talked about with the garden standpoint of, you know, getting your hands dirty and very much from what I've seen throughout the adventure hydro brand where you, you very much advocate, uh, you know, getting out in nature and, you know, using water and exploring water, drinking water. So how, how are you using, you know, the, the advantages of how water has shaped this earth and kind of using it as an opportunity to get outside and educate people about the opportunities that the, the earth and the, the water world provides for us. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, first I'm just going to go back really quick. I, I do think that an individual can make a substantial difference. They just have to have the willingness to do so because if your friend sees you doing something that they're not doing and you tell them why, like you're picking up, a water bottle from the street, or you, you say, I'm, I have a water bucket in my shower and I can tell you where to get one, then hopefully that creates a domino effect. Yep. And as long as we continue to do that, you know, it's, I, I want to try to change the message that an individual can change the world. Um, but it's the individual that is the catalyst for the world changing itself. So I think, you know, I, I would like to start saying that. So let's, let's start pushing that one. As a message, it. I love it, and, um, and I didn't mean to state that individual no, no, can't, totally. but you're, it's it's totally it's uh, almost creating that organic effect by the individual, and that's that truly is the exactly. most important act of an individual doing something to make a difference. Yeah, I, I think we can we can do as people anything we want, and as we build a community, that's even better because we have strength in numbers. But as an individual, you're the first one there, then okay, great. You're going to get a second one, and that one brings two more people, and that brings eight people, and just start having this um, return on your social investment. I think that's really cool, and I know it's something you do, Kevin, and, and you know I do it. So, and um, 
So anyway, we can let's get to your question. So adventure hydrology. So adventure hydrology in a nutshell is a way that I get out and explore the world through the lens of adventure. And that's what I call it. The lens of adventure. It's what makes water sexy because let's face it, flushing the toilet isn't sexy, but that is still water. Um, growing pomegranates in the desert isn't maybe sexy, but if you go whitewater rafting down a river that is adjacent to that desert, you can talk about why this river exists and why maybe we shouldn't be growing pomegranates. I can maybe give that a pass, but almonds at a gallon of water per almond, why are they being grown in the desert? And we can have that conversation while whitewater rafting. So I want people to get out and start seeing, experiencing, being a part of the world that surrounds them. Get out of your homes, get out of your cities, go to a different state if you can and experience something totally different because by doing so, I believe that it opens up your mind, your perspective, your willingness to embrace different values and see how people, at least in this case, value water. Water in the East Coast is a totally different beast than water in the Western United States. Water in Alaska is different than water in Florida. So by going to those places and experiencing all these amazing events and working with nonprofits like the Verde River Institute um, and going floating one of the last real rivers in Arizona, uh, it's a wild and scenic river. It's free-flowing, and it's it's literally the last one. By doing that, you can bring people and experience those those last moments of maybe what will change forever if they, you know, Arizona decides to start diverting that water. So adventure hydrology takes you out there. I'm a mountain and talk about snowpack and fires. We will go whitewater rafting to talk about the spring snow mountain, how all this is going away. We're going to go rescue endangered fish to talk about why we need flows in the Rio Grande. The fourth largest river in the United States goes dry every summer, fourth largest river system. And that to me is ludicrous. And it's only ludicrous because well, it's not only ludicrous, but we are changing our natural systems. And I think people need to experience that change to see how it's impacting not only the environment, that's that's very important, but the people around that environment. What's the social impact of the Rio Grande being diverted or a dam being built or even better, a dam being removed? Uh, there's some phenomenal events that people can go to uh, that I'm going to be going to. That I'm going to be taking people along the adventure to experience. And then during that time, we're going to learn about not only what's going on in the environment, but how people can actually make an impact on the world that surrounds them. So that is adventure hydrology. It's kind of a, a nutshell, fun way of, of experiencing and, and learning to adventure. You know, when you go to a place, or at least when I go to a place, I want to know everything about it. So that's what I do is I'll take you there and I'll teach you everything that I can within the time frame about this place and how you can make an amazing impact on your world. And then so. and tell us that you have a YouTube channel where you have these videos that people can watch. And Yeah. Yes. So I have, um, I'm on Instagram. You can find me at Adventure Hydrology there. But what I'm really trying to do is show people via video. You know, That's the way you can take people. It, pictures are great. They give you a static image. You can tell the story. But I want to switch that paradigm where a picture is worth a thousand words, sure. But what is it worth 2,000 words to get a three-minute video out there and just show you to experience the fastest receding glacier in all of Iceland, or to climb a volcano um, that should have glaciers on it, or that has been destroyed four times and has rebuilt itself back up. You can show a picture, but wouldn't it be more fun if you joined me on the adventure? And that's what I have my YouTube channel doing. The YouTube channel is also Adventure Hydrology. And you can Google it or you know 
definitely everybody listening, please subscribe um, because it is just a fun way to experience your world using the lens of adventure and maybe some things that you wouldn't want to go do. Um, I don't know that many people that love climbing volcanoes or uh, going into ice caves or mud caves or tailless rock volcanoes, all these crazy things that you can do, all these things that I've done. Um, but if you check out my channel, you can absolutely go join me on the adventure. And I'm always looking for people to adventure with. Kevin, I know you and I have a, a date this year scheduled at some point to get on an adventure together and and uh, definitely be a part of that and should be a blast there too. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. And yeah, I'm, I'm just looking at your YouTube channel now and just subscribe myself and All right. uh, got, a bunch of, got a bunch of good content here. And, and one last thing I want to ask you about before yeah. uh, we get going is uh, how was your day without water? Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. That that was fun. There's another one coming up in October, so I'll be doing a much longer video and working with uh, hopefully a community of people to raise awareness of what it's like to go a day without water. But it was, um, you know, it was fun. I couldn't, I didn't wash my hands. I didn't brush my teeth. I didn't take a shower. Um, I was silly enough to have forgotten that I was doing a day without water, so I worked out the night before and usually take my showers, you know, once in the morning, wash my face real quick, and that was gone. Um, couldn't really eat much because everything required water in some means fashion. So I ate a lot of breads and whatnot because they were already made. Um, kind of, I gave myself a little bit of wiggle room, but it was, uh, it sucked. It sucked. Yeah. <laughs> it was a stinky, um, long day and I, I was so thirsty and it was, it's crazy because I drink a lot of water um, and just, just surviving one day. I can't, well, you know, people across the planet have to live without water for more than a day. And if if not, they probably had to walk to go find it. And there are some major issues. And that's one of the things that a day without water brings to light is we as Americans are really, really, really privileged to have an infrastructure that can deliver water that you can literally drink out of the tap. Yep. There are countries that you, you can't do that. You might get it tapped, but you do not want to drink it. Um, and there are some countries that that is just a dream into the future that they can have a toilet that flushes, that they can turn on a tap and not be able to drink water uh, yep. just to have it there so they can boil it. You know, that's unfathomable for most Americans to think. And it's something that just in one day I've, I've come to realize, and I'm, I'm actually looking forward to hopefully working with some people uh, and some groups to experience what it's like and, and adventure hydrology video, what it's like to actually live without water for not just a day, but just, maybe a week, three days, whatever it is in their life to just show that perspective, because that's what it's all about. It's about taking you to experience these things. And, and that's what adventure hydrology does. And that day without water is, um, it sucked. Yeah, I believe it. And yeah, the age old quote, you, you don't realize the worth of water until the well is dry. And yes. it is one of those things that, again, we take for granted. And we want to, through adventure hydrology and responsible, and I guess anyone's uh, just own drive to be a good person is, is get outside, but continue to be that spark of change and that your community and your friends and family will will respond to you if you take those initiatives. So I appreciate you giving us some of those different insights around tangible actions and 
again, I look forward to creating more content here in the future and would love to dive more into different things around um, salmon in the Pacific Northwest or red algae in mm-hmm. Florida. And, and, and I know we could go quite long-winded here, um, but, but I, I think for now <laughs> this is a, a great start. And, um, and, and just uh, one last kind of, uh, again, where, where can people find you if they want to learn more, get in touch? Yeah, so you can find me on YouTube at Adventure Hydrology. It's pretty straightforward. You can probably even Google Adventure Hydrology or Adventure Hydro. I should come up. There's also my Instagram, which is also Adventure Hydrology. You can find me on Facebook, which, funny enough, is Adventure Hydrology. I am the world's first and only Adventure Hydrologist. So if you just check that out, you'll find me somewhere, and you will not only experience the adventures, but you will learn to adventure. And you will come along these journeys and see how amazing our world is and how important water is to everything because it's, it is life. <laughs> it's, it is everything that we have on this planet. It's, we live on a planet of water. So, yeah, check me out, Adventure Hydrology, Google, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Love it, man. Well, thanks for your time today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Kevin. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Um, also, I want to send a shout out to you for your bracelets. I don't take this thing off. Responsible is a fantastic organization. I'm really proud to be a part of it, my friend. Thank you, man. Yeah, for sure. 